want to start with a question this morning. Uh, have you ever been locked out? Have you ever been locked out of your house? Uh, there's some people right up front here, out of, out of your, your office. Have you ever stood outside your car and looked through the window and seen the keys, you know, right there? You can't get to them. Pretty helpless feeling when you're locked out. A few years ago, I was uh, locked out of my office at the church I was a part of in, in Denver, and uh, it was late on a Saturday night. I'd come there to get some things together for Sunday morning, and um, I cl- the door, my office door closed behind me, and then I realized my keys were on the desk, and my, I could see them through the little window in the office. And it was like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, really late, and I didn't want to call another staff person and you know, get them out of bed and make them come up, and I was standing there just trying to figure out, how am I going to get into this locked office? Now, our office area there and the church there has, has a drop ceiling. So I looked up at that drop ceiling. Wait, you don't know what's going to happen. What do you say? Um, and, and I started to think, well, okay, if the wall the door is part of goes all the way to the roof, I'm stuck. But if it doesn't and I can get up over the wall through the ceiling, that could be an option. So I got a tall stool and I moved some tiles out of the way. And, and there was duct work and networking cable and, and brackets holding the drop ceiling and all this stuff up. And it was dirty and dusty and somebody, some critter had been living up there. And uh, there was a smell. But, but I could see the top of the wall and there was space between that and the roof where I could get over to my side of the, you know, the office side of the wall. So, you know, they say great leaders make great decisions. So <laughs> I said, I'm going for it. And uh, I began to make my way up there, you know, trying to get through. About halfway through, I wish I had been trained by a yoga master because I was contorting myself in all sorts of ways to get over duct work and around these wires. Uh, but eventually, I was sitting on top of that wall looking at the, my, my office ceiling and, and began to think, okay, now how do I get down into this office, right? And um, so I'd love to say that it was like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, and I just lowered myself gently into the office. But it looked more like a TikTok video with parkour gone wrong or something. And as I, I fell through the roof of my office, breaking tiles and landing on the floor in my office, looking like I had escaped from Alcatraz or something covered in dirt. But, but I was on the other side of the locked door. I made it, right? I made it through that locked door. So success, win. Uh, when, when we talk about doors in our conversations, a lot of times we talk about open doors and closed doors as a way of talking about uh, the future, th- things we want to see happening in our lives, hopes and dreams that we have for things down the road, unknowns, choices that we have to make. And we talk about this idea of doors being opened or closed for us. You know, opportunity is knocking, we say, that there, there might be something for you there. We talk about closed doors as well, that's not going to work, so you got to find something else. Sometimes people will say, you know, if one door gets closed, then another one will open. Like, we have choices. These are some of the things we hear. Have you ever had to, like, get your foot in the door or kick a door down or show someone the door? Have you ever beat a path to the door or blown the doors off, right? We have all these euphemisms around uh, choices and movement in our life, the ways we might move forward. And all of it points to this human desire we have to know what tomorrow is holding, to know what we're supposed to do with our lives. All of it kind of speaks to this hope we have that we will be doing what we should be doing. And as those of us who believe that we are created by a loving God who is present with us, a God who shows up in our everyday lives, who who sees our life and and has a plan for our life, we want to do what he's called us to do. We want to be following the path he has for us. It all boils down to, you know, our life's mission and purpose. What am I supposed to do? with this one life that God has given to me? What am I supposed to do with the time that I have? 
and we think about specific decisions that are coming up, things down the road. What do we do when we become an empty nesters? What do we do when that new thing starts? What do I do about this relationship? Should I follow and pursue that person? And we start to make these decisions. And the Bible talks about the doors that we face. It uses that same imagery about doors that we come to and doors that are open. And Paul in the New Testament, he wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And Paul would, would often write about doors that he saw God opening or, or God closing. In fact, Luke wrote the book of Acts and he, he talked about Paul. And when he spoke about Paul in Acts 14, he wrote down these words, Paul and Barnabas gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So, you know, Luke was saying there was a door open that Paul walked through. And then Paul would also use that language. And he did, when he decided to stay in Ephesus, he said, a door has opened wide for me to do some good work here. So that's why he says, I'm going to stay here. In one of his letters, he wrote these words, I went to Troas to preach the good news about Christ, and there I found that the Lord had opened a door of opportunity for me. One more example in, in the letter of, to Colossae, Paul wrote, pray that God will open a door for our message. So you, you see Paul talking about doors. There's even a time in Acts when he came to a closed door, a way that wasn't open to him, and he had to redirect uh, you know, where he was heading with his life. You start to get this feeling that Paul approached that question, what should I do with my life? And, and he found the answers by looking for open doors, open opportunities, or closed doors, things that God said, I don't want you to be doing that right now. And, and he began to adjust himself based on what God was guiding him in. So, so what do you do when you come to a locked door, or you come to a door that's closed, and, and maybe they seem, all of them seem closed? Or sometimes worse is when all of them seem open and you don't know which one you're supposed to walk through and you're asking God to guide you and you just don't know what he would have you do. What, what is the purpose of your life? It makes you wonder about that. What should I do? Am I doing what I need to do to know what God would have me do? You know, and we, we ask these questions. And that's why this morning I'm really glad that we get to hear from uh, Chris and Diane and uh, their story of, of finding doors that God was opening and closing and how he guided them uh, through their life together. And so I want to invite Chris and Diane, if you guys would come up here. They've been attending our church for years and part of our community, and um, we get to hear some of their story this morning. So will you welcome them with me as they come up? Hey, hey. So we have, during this Faith Every Day series, we've been hearing the stories of, of many different people, and it's fun to have you guys up here this morning. So Chris, maybe you could start just by introducing us to your family. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So you can see a picture on the screen. This is our this is our family. Our kids are Jonah, Eliza, Mila, and Levi. And Jonah just finished up his first year at K-State. And that's actually where the two of us met. And that was in 1999, so a few years back. That's a long time. That's ancient. <laughs> so old. Yes. <laughs> you guys can do the math if you want. Um, so we moved, after we graduated, we moved to Kansas City, and we actually joined this church. Diane grew up here, and we felt like it was a good home for us. We led small groups. I got a job. We had kids. I worked towards my professional engineering license, and we paid off student loans. That was like a five-year segment. Our next five years, we moved to China. We worked in an area where we were working with second, giving a second chance opportunity to students who couldn't get into college. Then we came back, and we spent some time um, transitioning to do this work more long-term. We didn't know at that point if it would be long or not. But we transitioned, and we studied Mandarin. And then the most recent five-year segment, we've been working with a group called Evergreen back in China and doing 
community service projects, working with kids and families, and just really enjoying that. Mm. China. So you studied Mandarin, not not the oranges, but the not language, the right? Okay. Just <laughs> so want to make sure I understood. Uh, so you so you were in China. So uh, we wanted to play a little game with you uh, this morning, um, since you spent, have spent time in China. And so the name of this game is Is This Food? That's the okay. name of the game. Okay. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna find out uh, some of the different uh, dietitian dietary uh, things that they have in China. So let's put the first picture up. And Chris, I'm gonna ask you this question: Is this food? And this is really a sad to start with a, a cute donkey. Before I answer, I'll tell you this saying in China, if it has four legs, but it's not a table, it's food. <laughs> if it has two legs and it's not your friends or family, it's food. Well, don't go too far into that one. Wow, wow. So yeah, that's so, food. Yes, that's food? Okay. That's food. Uh, the next picture, I think, so this is, uh, next picture, this is a donkey burger then. Donkey burger, that's okay. very good, by the okay. way. Not bad. And it's delicious, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, a little gamey, but okay. <laughs> a little gamey. All right, next picture. Is this food, Chris? You can count the legs, but <laughs> more than there's four. more than four, but it's still food. <laughs> All right, next picture. So this, what's happening here with these guys? Chris? So this scorpion on a stick, they're on the stick alive, and they're kind of twitching and jittering. But then they'll flash fry them, put some seasoning on, and they taste like chips. They're pretty good. Actually, Michael has had them with me in China. <laughs> wow. Crunchy, then. A little crunchy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, still not buying it, Chris. Still not, I'm not going it's there. It's good. Uh, okay, I'll try to believe you. All right, uh, next picture. Uh, this looks like a, like a mineral or a geode or something. So is, is this food? This is food. It comes with, from a chicken that has two legs. <laughs> that comes from a chicken? It what, comes what is, from a chicken. So is, it's a thousand-year egg. They bury this egg in the ground. It gets caked in mud. And over time, it just ferments. It kind of gets jelly-like. And then they pull it out of the ground, scrape off the outside, and you can eat it. Sounds delicious. <laughs> what, what's it taste like? At first, I did not like these, to be honest. But after about 15 years in China, I, I really started to enjoy them. Every time I saw them, I was like, I'm not just have one, but I'll have two of them. Oh, and they were really good. They're kind of jelly-like and kind of pickle-flavored. Pickle, pickle flavor. Okay. Yeah. But the texture is strong. Yes, uh, <laughs> Diane would like to add something. I'd just like to add that the only time I have ever almost thrown up while I was eating something was when Chris planned an amazing race game for our team. And one of the things was to eat a thousand year egg, but you had to first take the mud off of it. It was so, I literally like gagged and almost puked as I was putting it in my mouth. So I'm, I'm gagging there are right varying now. opinions on this stage about the, the eggs. Okay, okay, good. Well, uh, just to be fair, uh, I wanted to share one more picture, and this is from a state fair in a state that I've lived, and people from other countries could ask, is this food? Um, because I have eaten that at a state fair, and so other countries would say, are you crazy? Look at what you're putting in your body. Um, so we're all in this together, basically. So thanks for playing the game, Chris. That was good. So uh, other questions I want to ask. So Diane, we um, a few weeks ago talked about spiritual pathways and the ways we naturally connect with God and now he grows our faith. So what are the different pathways that you and, and Chris connected with when we talked about that? The spiritual pathways I connect with are relational and worship. And I completely got the ones wrong for Chris during the first oh, service, yeah? oh. I confess. You got corrected? No, I looked at my note and I was like, oh, oops. <laughs> um, for him, it's, cre I got to look. That, that, that's right. Creation and serving. During the first service, I said creativity. And then I was like, 
There was something about nature. So I said nature. So God shows up through creation and as you serve others. And then, Diane, for you, as you're in relationship with other people. Yes. You really sense God speaking. Right. So we're, we're talking about open doors this morning. So this is a question for both of you to answer. But, but growing up, what were some of the experiences you had uh, that helped you determine what are the doors God would have you walk through? What are some of the things you saw and happened? Yeah, so I've kind of... As a child and into my early years, I had an interest in overseas, just fascinated with it. I was actually thinking about it after the last service, and I had a project as an elementary school kid, and I chose China. My dad worked at a travel agency, and I got these books and all these brochures and cut out pictures of the Great Wall and different things. So it actually started pretty early on. Then in college, I had a chance to study abroad in the Czech Republic, and being a part of the international church there really just created a different passion in me. Mm. Um, going back to, from that experience into Christian Challenge, the campus group we were a part of, I was mentored by a guy named Bob, and he shared his passion for China with me. And they had a summer team going there that next summer, and he encouraged me to go. And it was really, I, I just decided to do it. And when I was there, I felt like God met me. He, there was a time when I was in a foreign couple's apartment. They were there with their little baby. They'd served for a few years there. And I was just watching them interact and have, do life. And I felt like God saying, this will be your family someday. Hmm. It was like a voice in my head. I had not experienced that before, but I did at that point. And then it just came into what we're doing now. Wow. Yeah. And how about for you? For me, when I, when I was actually in high school here at at um, Hillcrest, and we had a really great missions um, program for the students, and that apparently made a really big impact on my life, um, but it was while I was that young and had the opportunity to serve people and just be the hands and feet of Jesus that I felt like, um, I want to do this. I want to do this with my life, and I also was really interested in other cultures, just languages and everything about it. And so my guiding factor in life had been, I want to do something serving Jesus somewhere else in the world. There was a lot of gray area there. <laughs> um, when I was in, uh, in high school and near the end, um, we went on a missions trip to Japuza, Jesus People USA in Chicago. And I was pretty determined that God wanted me to just stay there. And I was not going to go to college. And it was going to be awesome. But we have wise leaders. And they helped me to see that college would be a good idea <laughs> before going and serving somewhere. So... Yeah, that was all just really cool to see how God used all those experiences when I was so young. Like, to be able to look back and be like, what I'm doing now has to do with when I was 16. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So as there's people in the room this morning that may be wondering about uh, the doors in front of them, um, open doors, closed doors, what, what would you encourage them? How would you encourage them um, as they're seeking to do what God's called them to do? I would say nothing is wasted. Um, so... As I heard clearly from God, your family's supposed to be in China. We didn't go to China right away. We came and I worked five years as an engineer. We had to pay off loans and I felt like, what is, we, we don't know what the timing is. We had a arc plan and we said, five years later, we're gonna try and go and it worked, but we don't always know. So that engineering time wasn't wasted. We moved to China and I taught English. I didn't have the skill to teach. Uh, I hated getting up in front of people, kind of like right now. I don't enjoy <laughs> this. But 
God used that. He grew me. He taught me new things and how to interact with kids. And then our current job, where I work now, is with the camp. I every day plan at the campsite. I'm fixing things, using my engineering skills, building new structures for our camp. And then all the teaching experience I got, I'm using to plan games and curriculum and lead the kids in what they do. And it's just cool to see, even if it takes 20 years or 15 years, he uses all those experiences at some point, and he'll use them to help do his work. So that was encouraging. Yeah. So stick with it, even if it seems like it's going to take a long time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, I feel like it's become, I've realized how important it is for me to know who I am. And I've had to, there were a lot of things that I thought I wanted to be and had to realize who God actually created me to be. And, and then as, and then also be able to look around me and see where is God already working and, and will, and be willing to step into that, even if I think it doesn't match up with who I am or it's something that I think is going to be too hard or I have absolutely no skill set. I mean, you know, we like people to be skilled at what they're doing, but I have spent the last 16 years having to let go of, like, I know who I am, but, and as I have offered up to God abilities and gifts and experiences that he has given to me over and over again, he says, I see it and I want you to do something else. And so he continues to grow me in other areas. And then um, it's been in the last couple of years as I've been serving in a role that I am completely inadequate for and have had so many days of tears and going, God, you picked wrong. And him saying, can you do the thing that I put right in front of you? Just walk into that, whether it's a phone call or a conversation I need to have with somebody. I don't have to have a big plan beforehand. Just step into it and trust that God is going to help me through it. And it was in the midst of all of that that I ended up discovering that I had actually kind of surprisingly was doing what I had been longing to do for 16 years. That in the middle of all those inadequacies, he gave me my deepest desire in in ministry. Um, He's surprising like that. I really appreciate you guys sharing uh, some of your story, and it's been our honor, pleasure to know you and be partnered with you over these years. And and uh, I'd like to pray for you um, before you before you step down. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for Chris and Diane for how you have called them and used them in, in so many powerful ways. Um, how they've encouraged us this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to uh, guide them. We ask, Lord, that you would open up that door again, that they could return back to their community and friends in China and um, continue to see um, good things, Lord. So bless them and encourage them. Uh, We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say thanks to them for sharing their story. Thanks, guys. Okay. It's so good to hear these stories, to, to know that God directs other people's lives. And often when we hear someone's story, we start to see ourselves in there as well. We, there's things that we can learn and be encouraged by. So Chris and Diane were guided through their experiences, through their, their mentors, through hardships, through job skills. Uh, even fried scorpions, you know, guided them along the way. Um, and, and those things are available to us as well, every step of the way. And of course, there's times when you end up heading down the wrong path, and, and God has to redirect you and turn things around. 
Um, but even in those moments, God is with us and present. His, his uh, kindness is there, his comforting presence, even surprising, as Diane said. It surprises us sometimes. We looked at some of the images of Paul when he wrote about different doorways. And there's another writer in the New Testament, one of Jesus' best friends, a guy named John, one of his disciples. And John wrote several of the books in the New Testament. And he would sometimes borrow this idea of, of doorways and doors. And uh, so he, he was writing in John chapter 10, he's writing uh, Jesus' teaching, and Jesus is talking about a sheep and shepherds. And, and, and here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door. Jesus says. It's not much clearer than that, right? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then John goes ahead and uses that door image, that gate image, about four more times in John chapter 10. John also wrote the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we see him using that imagery for doors in Revelation as well. So I want to look at a passage in Revelation with you this morning, Revelation chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you could open up to Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 13, and we're going to read this little letter together that Jesus wrote to one of his churches, and it uses that image of a door. Now, now John wrote the book of Revelation about 60 years after Jesus left the planet, and, and John had this uh, amazing privilege to see the kingdom of God expanding in his community. He saw the church uh, launch and get started uh, he saw it grow exponentially as thousands of people became followers of Jesus. And John also got to see the hardship that the church began to go through, the body of believers as, as they were uh, kicked out of their synagogues, as the Jewish Christians were, were excommunicated and asked to leave their communities of faith. And back in that time, you know, 2,000 years ago, the, the synagogue was the center of the community. And so if you were kicked out of the synagogue, it meant that you lost your, your social connection, your business networks, you lost your support system. And, and John watched this play out in his, his life and in the lives of those around him. And it got worse from there because the, the followers of Jesus in that first century, they would say things like, Jesus is Lord. And the Roman Empire at that time, those in, in Rome would say, Caesar is Lord. And so the leaders of Rome, when they heard Christians saying, Jesus is Lord, they rightly understood that these Christians were pushing against the authority of Rome over their life. And they were saying, we don't think Caesar is God. We think Jesus is God, and he is the one who has authority. So Rome came down hard on those early Christians. And John watched all of his disciple friends uh, give up their lives for their faith. They were killed because they were following Jesus. And when John wrote the book of Revelation, he had been uh, exiled on an island in the Aegean Sea. Uh, some, some think he had been going through Asia Minor, visiting the churches there, and then was captured by Rome and isolated on this island. And while he was there, he had a vision, he had a dream uh, that Jesus showed up and, and, and spoke to him, and he wrote that down in the book of Revelation. That's what we have to, to read this morning. And so in chapter 2 and 3, uh, John, Jesus says, John, I want you to write these letters to these seven churches. And maybe they, they were the churches that John was visiting in Asia Minor. And so uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, we see Jesus writing a letter to a church called Philadelphia. So verse 7, Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these words. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have had little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. And I will write, also write, oops, I missed something there, uh, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here Jesus says to this church as he writes this letter, he says, I've opened a door before you. It was shut, but I've opened it up. And it's going to remain open. And it's open because Jesus says he has the keys. He says, I have the key of David. Now, David was, for the Jewish people, he was symbolic of the perfect king. He was the kind of king that they wanted to have over their, uh, the authority over them. And they knew that God was their king. And so David became symbolic of God's perfect rule over their lives as having authority over them. And so Jesus says, I've got the keys that the King David had. I have the authority over our life, over your life, Jesus says. And, and, he, and he's not going to lose those keys, right? Jesus is not going to lose that authority. He's got the authority. And this letter was written to a particular group of people, the people of the church in Philadelphia. It was, it was written at a particular time for a particular reason. So the first thing we need to understand is, is why was it written to them? And then we can start to ask, so what does it mean to us today? And for those first listeners, this letter uh, would have been a very hopeful communication for them, very encouraging communication for them. Because these early followers of Jesus had been locked out of their communities, out of their Jewish community. They'd been kicked out of the synagogue. They had lost those connections we were talking about just a moment ago. They, they found themselves restricted from sitting with their family, with their friends, and those services of worship and their, their places of training and the center of their community. And Jesus says to them, but you are not locked out of the community of God. You are not locked out of community with your creator and with, with those who follow him. Philadelphia, that's the, the church of brotherly love, right? We have a city in the U.S. named Philadelphia. Uh, but these Christians weren't known for their cheesesteaks. Uh, they were known uh, that, for standing firm in their faith. That's what Jesus says to them. You have not given up. You have endured patiently. And Jesus says, because you have endured, he says, I'm going to make you like pillars. I'm going to make you sure and steady and firm. I'm going to plant you, and you will be unmovable and he says, I'm going to put on you different names. As you catch the names, three different names he's going to put on them, he said. I'm going to put on you the name of your God. I'm going to put on you the name of the city, which is a way of saying like the kingdom, that you are kingdom people, that you are sons and daughters of the king. I'm going to give you that name. And then Jesus says, I'm also going to put on you my new name. And what Jesus is saying there to them is he says, I'm going to help you know who you are. I'm going to steady you and, 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 and sink you into this reality of your identity, who you are at your core, that you are named by God, you are his, that you are people of the kingdom as followers of Jesus. And he says, your identity will be secure. And of course, we need to know who we are to do what God has called us to do. So it's, it's directly connected to our purpose and our mission. If we are steadied in our identity and understand who we are and whose we are, well, then we can live out the purpose of our life. 
And the purpose, I think, is found in the next few verses as John talks again about different doorways. And he writes uh, to the next church, he writes another letter to the church in Laodicea. Verse 20 of chapter 3 there, Jesus says, uh, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you will eat with me. Now here's another door, and this one is shut. Jesus hasn't opened it yet. In fact, Jesus is standing on the outside of this door, and he's knocking. And he's wondering, will we, will we open that door to him? He was writing to this church and saying, I, I hope you will open your life to me and allow me to come in and be connected to you. And that's true for us today as well. Jesus stands at the door and he's knocking and he's wondering, will we open our lives to him? Will we surrender our control? Will we say that we believe we are forgiven and receive that forgiveness from, from Jesus? Will we open that door? If you're wondering what God would have you do with your life, the first thing he would have you do is open your life to him and believe that he is trustworthy and good, that he wants to guide you in this life. And Jesus, he's not going to kick that door down. He's waiting patiently. He's knocking. He's available. But he's not going to force his way in. And he's saying to you, will you open? Will you open yourself to me? Will you open your life to my way of life? The truth is God's primary will for you is not about what you're going to do with your life. It's about who you will become. I mean, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that one down. God's primary will for you is not what you will do. It's who you will become. That's what he's primarily concerned about. And of course, he sees all the other choices you have, all the other things you're trying to decide, and all the, the things in front of you. And he cares about that as well. But his primary focus is not so much what you're going to do with your life. It's about who you will become. He, wa he wants you to build your life on him, to open yourself to the influence of the Spirit of God in the world today. So as you are concerned about what you're going to do and that relationship you're worried about, where you're going to set up your home, what kind of business you should go into, God's concerned about all that, but he says, first, let's start with who you are and whose you are. And I, I can build from there as you, as you surrender to me. So we, we open that door to Jesus and invite him in, and we're welcomed into the kingdom of God. And John again writes about that at, at, in Revelation chapter 4, the next chapter, very first verse. John is continuing to see this vision. And he says, after this, I looked up, and there in front of me was a door standing open in heaven. He heaven is opened to him. And I think there's basically two doors in Revelation 3 and 4 that we're reading about here. There's this first door that has is, is been opened for us. Jesus has opened this door to us. It's, it's the presence and the power and the reality of God in the world today. The fact that the kingdom of God has come to earth, that God is present with us right now in this room, the spirit of God is in us and moving through us, that there is a power, there is a presence that we sometimes forget about. I mean, have you forgotten about that? We, we have this way of, of getting our eyes stuck on what we can see. We get our attention stuck on what we can control. We get our hearts stuck on, on what we can hold in our hands. And the truth is, God is here right now with us. The power of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God, the kingdom of God is moving all around us. And the first thing we need to embrace is that there's an open door to that kingdom. We have been welcomed into the work of God in the world today. What greater thing could we be involved in than what God is doing, the eternal difference he's making in the lives of those around us, in our own lives as well. The spirit is with us and moving when, we get, when those haunting questions fill your mind about all the options, 
You know, what am I supposed to do in this situation? God, what would you have me do in this schooling or this career or this relationship that I have? And the first thing we need to hold on to is that God is here, that you're not facing those decisions alone, that he cares about them and he is with you in them, that he has brought uh, resources and knowledge and wisdom to help you as you're going along the way. He has opened a door to heaven to us and he cares about them. Now, of course, there's times when it feels like he's distant. There's times when it, it seems like he's more silent than chatty, right? But, but that's where we read this, this church in Philadelphia sets the example for us. They, they held on. Jesus says, you've endured patiently. You've waited. And sometimes we have to wait for what God wants to say. And he says, as you're waiting, he says, I'm going to make you a strong pillar. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to sink down into your very core who you are. I'm going to put names on you so you know your identity. We are so desperate these days for identity. We are grasping everywhere to try to understand who we are. And we try on these identities for a little while, and then we go over here and try on this identity. We're just desperate for them. And God says, I've got a name for you. I've opened a door. Will you just receive the life that I've called you to, the name I want to put on you? If you will wait on that, he will, he will cause you to be firm in your life, that you'll have a place to stand and Jesus can do this, right, because he's got the keys. He's got the authority. He's got the ability to, to walk with us personally, to inform our lives personally. When this vision began, Revelation, very first chapter, verse 18, Jesus says this, I am Jesus. I, I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is saying, I've got death. Those things that, that are death to you, I've locked them away. If you will follow me, I have opened up life to you. So, so trust me, walk with me. Allow me to speak that name over your life. Let me inform your identity. Trust me in that. That's the, that's the first door it's been opened to us. And then, and then there's the second door, the one that Jesus is knocking on. And, and this door represents our will. It, it's, it's our control. It's our desire that, that we have over our lives. And I want you to remember that this letter where Jesus is knocking on the door of their hearts, it's written to those who are part of the church in Laodicea. Jesus is writing that to those who are following him, those that are part of the church, the community of faith. And he says, I'm standing at the door and knocking you Christians. So the door that he's inviting us to open is not simply the door of salvation. In fact, some would say it's not the door of salvation. He's inviting us to open up the door of transformation, that every day we would choose to open the door to Jesus and say, this is your day. I'm your woman, I'm your man, this is your day. You, you tell me what to do, you guide me. I'm surrendered to you, I'm trusting you to guide me every step of the way. Even those of us who are Christians need to open the door to Jesus. Not because we need to be saved again, but because we need to be informed again and led again and, and, and re-identified again with Jesus as we, as we start every day. Now, one of the great ways we've tried to capture this as a church community is called baptism. And in baptism, we say, okay, you've become a follower of Jesus. You've made a decision. You've walked through the door of salvation. And now you want to say that every day, I want to be surrendered to Christ. Every day, I want him transforming me. So in baptism, we take you and you go underneath the water, which symbolizes your death, that you are dying to yourself. And you come out of the water raised to a new life with Jesus. It's a beautiful symbol of this idea that every day we open our, our lives to Jesus. Every day we open the door to him. 
because he's not going to force his way in. If you haven't been baptized, two weeks from today, we're going to have a a service in the morning on Sunday, June 4th. We're going to meet at 9 o'clock outside on the lawn, just one service that morning. And then we're going to regather at 2 o'clock that afternoon and have a time of singing and worship and prayer, and we're going to do some baptisms. And if you've never been baptized or you haven't done that after your confession of faith, you haven't entered the waters of baptism and, and taken on that symbol, I want to encourage you to think about it. Two weeks from today, joining us and being baptized. You can uh, fill out online. There's a, the community card has a little X on there where you can put a X by I want to be baptized. Or just come talk with me or any of the staff. We'd love to help you make that connection. Each day we choose we choose where we open the door to Jesus's power and authority over our lives. We can continue to strive as hard as we can in our own power. We can try to do the best that we can do. Or we can simply rest in what God has already done and the name that he is writing over us. And you might be surprised how Jesus will be directing your life because Jesus is always speaking to us. He's always guiding. He's always saying things for us. The, the scriptures, the, the Bible is the word of God. In fact, Jesus is called the word of God. He is always speaking to us. Scripture helps us, gives us wisdom as we make decisions in our everyday lives. The Spirit of God will speak through those Christian friends around you in your small group or in your family or in your, your, you know, this, your friends around you who are following Jesus. Let them speak because the Spirit of God can, can speak wisdom through them. Uh, Christians write books about this idea, different topics that we... So read a book about the thing you're thinking about and concerned about by a Christian author. That might, God might use that to direct you and guide you. And we can always go back also to other decisions we made. I mean, 10 years ago, you probably made some decisions, and you saw how God brought you through that. And so trust that he's going to do that again. Open doors, closed doors, locked doors. Jesus is at the door with us. He's opened a door. He's knocking at the door. Now, you might still be thinking, oh, this is great, and this is good, Nate, thanks, that's helpful, but, but I still don't know what I should do with my life. <laughs> I still don't know what God would have me do with this one life that I have. Well, next Sunday, we're going to finish up this series, Faith Every Day, and we're going to focus in on how has God shaped you in a particular way to do a particular kind of thing with your life. We're going to use this acrostic shape. It starts with spiritual gifts. and It talks about your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. How do all those things help form and shape you into who God wants you to be in the world today? So we're going to focus on that next Sunday. I hope you can join us for that as we wrap up this series. But, but just for today, let's embrace this open door that God is here with us. And let's make sure we start every day by opening the door to Jesus and inviting him to help us take each step intentionally with him. So let's talk to God about that right now. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And while they're coming up on the stage, let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that you are present here right now. Creator God, that your kingdom is here expanding among us. Spirit of God, you've been poured into us that that you are the counselor, you are the educator, you, you help us know who you are, God, and how to walk with you. So thank you for opening that door of relationship that we might know you, Father. And we pray that as we walk through this day, and that we will keep that door open to you, Jesus. That tomorrow morning when we wake up, the first thing we will say is, Jesus, this is your day. I'm yours. My name is written in the book of life because of you, Jesus. And my life is your life. I surrender it to you fully. What would you have me do this day? Might we invite you every day to guide us and direct us? And Father, thank you for making so many things clear to us. There are questions we have, but you have made it clear what you want us to do. 
You want us to love you with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You want us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. You want us to bring out of our our lives peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. You want us to be planting seeds of the kingdom, inviting others to consider the claims that Jesus made over their life, that we might see others receive forgiveness and new life in you, Jesus. So remind us that you have made some things clear. Help us to walk in those truths as we try to figure out specifically what you'd have us do with our day-to-day. Thank you, Father God. You are so good and faithful. We trust you. We surrender to you. We give ourselves over to you. And all of this is because of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So it's good to be together. I I don't know if you know this, but uh, this weekend, Trey walked and received his diploma for graduation. So we're excited for that for Trey. And so uh, he's, got, he's got a lot of family in town. So I want to invite Trey's grandparents, uh, Pastor, uh, to come on up here, if you would, Pastor Solomon and Pastor Rose. Uh, they lead a church in uh, Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya. And I asked if they'd come up and pray for us as we finish this morning uh, to bless us uh, with their presence. So, Pastor. Oh, we thank God again uh, for the opportunity to be with you in this service. We were in the first service and we thank God that uh, we came to this country this weekend to celebrate Trey's graduation. He's our first grandchild. His mother, Pauline, is right there, our firstborn daughter. And Trey's young brother, Ryan, is also in this service today. And we want to thank you for receiving Trey and giving him a right hand of fellowship. We pray that he can continue to grow with you and to serve God. We've been in service for slightly over 30 years now as a family, and when we see one of our own stepping forward to serve God, it is great fulfillment in our lives. We also want to thank Jim and Kathy Ingram for having taken care of our family in Kansas. Pauline, Troy, and Ryan, they've been very close and they even hosted us for a celebration dinner yesterday in their house. And we are very, very grateful. We leave um, Tuesday uh, for Florida to be with our third-born daughter, after which we will be going back to Kenya to serve, to continue serving in the church, which turns 30 years next month. Pray with us as we continue to pray with you. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are so grateful yet again that we have found opportunity to stand even in this altar to speak a word of blessing to your people. We've been blessed through the worship and through the word, and we thank you for what you are doing in this place, O Lord. We want to pray that your continued presence will be evident in this ministry. Father, we even realize that there are people that come from here to go out in the world to serve, even to places where it may be very difficult to serve, but those are doors that you have opened that no one can close. We pray for them, that Father, as they continue sending more people into the world in, um, in conformity to the Great Commission, 
you will bless this ministry, you will bless this church, you will bless these people. These are your people. Bless them, Lord, and make them a blessing. We thank you, we honor you, and we adore you, even for their hospitality. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.